Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Uh, I am your fill-in host or host for this evening, or I'm not sure how we're doing this because we're kind of trading off as we go here. Uh, regardless, I am Matt DeBear. I am joined tonight by my pal Matt Flipovitz over in Chicago. How are you doing this evening, Matt? Matt, I'm good. I, I was on the south side of Chicago today, and I decided to walk back along the lakefront because I didn't want to – it was a nice day. I didn't want to take the train uh, and I knew the bears were home, so I wanted to see what the tailgate scene was like. So I walked about like four and a half miles of of Lakeshore real estate, uh, and I had a lot of time just to ponder the Penn State Central Michigan game that I just watched. And I think uh, I think I'm ready to fully dive into this Chippewa matchup. Well, that is a a perfect segue. Um, as everyone listening is aware, Penn State uh, moved to four and zero on Saturday after knocking off the Central Michigan Chippewas thirty three fourteen. We'll get into some of the details of the game here in a little bit, but it was a uneven matchup. We'll call it the start. Um, team really came out on fire. Went up fourteen nothing very quickly on the back of um, some beneficial field position and a hot start for Sean Clifford. Um, Clifford finished with 217 yards and three passing touchdowns. He also ran for one on a quarterback sneak. Um, Katron Allen was kind of the story of the game on offense, though, for Penn State, um, cracking 100 yards for the first time, um, which I believe is the third straight game Penn State has had a 100-yard rusher, which the last time that happened, um, we probably have to go back to Booby Sanders or Journey Brown, I would imagine. So it has been a, a couple years since yeah. we've had that. Um but like I said, it was a little bit of an uneven performance. Um, going up 14-0, um, they were able to get to the locker room at 21-14, but Central Michigan scored 14 unanswered um, as Penn State kind of sputtered on offense and um, couldn't really slow down the Chippewa passing attack with some impressive catches um, that we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, here. Carlos Correa um, had 11 catches for 111 yards for Central Michigan. Um, Joel Wilson, who I believe is their tight end, um, had a solid game with five catches and 59 yards. Um, but I guess, well, we get in, let's get into the game a little bit here. Um, this might be the shorter of the two answers, but what went right for Penn State on Saturday, Matt? Uh, I think it starts with this was just, it was a sleepy game. It's a, it's a nooner coming off of maybe the most impressive road win of the Franklin era. So they, they looked sleepy. I think everything about the game just screamed not even looking ahead because you're not really looking ahead at this point to that stretch in October because you have of course that Northwestern game and then the bye but it just looked like that they were not not like taking their foot off the gas it just looked like they didn't have their a game and I get it they've had to bring their a game two of the first three games of the year which is not something a lot of teams get to say so in terms of things that actually went right I would have to say it's Katron Allen's emergence. I, I loved the fact that it's game four and we've already seen Penn State break a hundred yards with two different backs. Like the three straight games thing is great. We were hoping we would have that at least two against the Mac foes, but now to have it done with two separate players, I think sets the team up for success. I really liked the amount of rotation we saw. I think I have the numbers pulled up here and they didn't rotate really late they rotated early they rotated a ton of guys jb nelson got a ton of reps early on when the offense was kind of sputtering in that window you mentioned where the chippewas scored 14 straight but in the end seven o-linemen played 14 defensive linemen played 10 linebackers 13 dbs and those are the positions that probably rotate the most so to see a lot of guys go out there and make impact plays i'm talking zaki wheatley deny dennis sutton we finally got to see a package where Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs were on the field at the same time. So in terms of actual highlight real things we're going to think about during the bye week when we're bored, it wasn't much, but it was all of these secondary pieces. And I don't mean like defensive backs, like second pieces more on the back burner than they are superstars were the ones going out there and making plays and becoming the storyline. So I think that was only a net positive for the team. I, I think to go along with that, the, the opportunity to get a lot of guys that probably, you know, um, even guys that are probably going to redshirt this year um, or, or guys that are, are fairly on the depth chart, like you said, got into the game early. And I think that speaks a lot to what the, the coaching staff's plan for the game was going in. Um, yep. it's, it's a weird point in the schedule here. Like you alluded to, Matt, we had Purdue, 
then the OU game, and then Auburn. So they start the season right out with with a big game, conference game, on the road. They get the win. And then even though Ohio's a game that, um, you know, on paper, they, they, they were going to, to walk through regardless, um, they're building towards Auburn. They're building towards, you know, kind of the, the, the highlight of the non-conference schedule. Now you get through that, you're 3-0, and you're relatively healthy, and now you've got Central Michigan, a, a bad Northwestern team that we'll talk about in a little bit and later this week previewing that game. Oh my God. I cannot believe how bad Northwestern is. How bad do you think Scott Frost feels about how bad Northwestern is? Oh, um, I mean, Scott Frost kind of wins in the end because he gets that extra seven and a half million from losing anyway <laughs> by not waiting those three weeks. So Scott Frost is living the good life so far. But, but So you, you have these, these two kind of walkthrough games. Yes, Northwestern's a Big Ten game, but it's at home. It's a team that is, is quite frankly not very good. And then you've got the bye week. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Michigan. And you've got, that's the start of this, this brutal stretch that we're going to talk about here in a little bit later on uh, this afternoon or this evening. Um, and so you have this weird opportunity in a game where unless things go really, really backwards, you're going to win the game. Um, the game, even when it was 14-14, it was never really in doubt. I think we all kind of assume that the, the superior talent was going to take over, and it did eventually, and it was sloppy. But I think between this this weird point in the schedule allowed them to be able to do some things. And James Franklin's talked a lot about this. Um, he kind of discussed it a little bit when he was asked about the redshirt situation, having this opportunity to get guys in the games that are probably still going to redshirt. Guys that really haven't played a whole lot. We saw Liam Clifford catch a pass, catch two passes on Saturday. Um, Robbie Dwyer got an interception late in the game that got negated by, I think it was a too many men on the field penalty. Um, yeah. Um, you know, Dom DeLuca played more than he's played. I know he's, he's more of a, a, a higher up the depth chart guy, but he played an awful lot. You alluded to the number of guys that mm-hmm. rotated through different spots and they were doing that early. And I think that speaks to how they kind of approached this game. Um, and so even though the, the end result, um, isn't probably what a lot of us expected. I know it's not what you expected, Matt, based on what you said last week during the oh. the, the preview podcast with, I think you went with Craig. Um, but it, it's a win on a weekend where a lot of teams struggled. Kentucky um, snuck by Northern Illinois. Georgia kind of slept walk against uh, Kent State. Um, there are a couple of, you know, a couple other games where um, higher, more highly regarded teams just kind of slept walk through the game. I think that's really where Penn State was. Yeah. Um, but with that said, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, and you have, I know, some thoughts on this especially, what went wrong? And I think to kind of go along with that, um, what are some red flags that might be um, might, might be coming up that you might want, want to um, worry about going into the, the heart of the schedule here? Yeah, I'll kind of split this up into two parts in the what went wrong purely on this weekend's game. And it's the kicking game. Kicking game is capital B bad right now. Sanders Sahadak, I know is 57 yarder, which would tie a school record, but he shanked it. It wasn't even remotely close. Pinnaker, short field goal. We thought maybe he turned a corner against Auburn. He missed it bad again this week. Franklin said in his postgame press conference, kickoffs aren't where they want to be. And I made a point of that, that I'm not sure if they're trying not to have touchbacks anymore because the coverage has been really good, but all it's going to take is one big playmaker going out there and, and making that difference. And all of a sudden things look a lot different on that front. So I'm a little worried on that front. Just, um, just some things that again, can bite Penn state in the butt special teams is, is a boring thing to talk about, but I always go back to the biggest play of the Franklin era was a special teams play. So it has to be addressed and it has to be addressed rather quickly. And then I I was talking to, I think it was actually all four of us, five of us in our Slack channel today about if we think back to Villanova last year, it was a gross game. And, you know, we kind of just said Penn State slept walk through it. And, and any errors that happened in that game, we chalked up to that. And I was looking for things in this game that would be flags, red flags that I have right now. And, it's still the offensive line for me. I, I still don't think they've found their best mix of five. I think they're getting closer, but, you know, I, I'm all for getting guys reps, but we've really only seen one dominant performance so far, and that's been against, granted, a very talented SEC West opponent in Auburn, but 
in order for us to say that offensive line is taking that step, they've got to start stacking dominant games on dominant games. And that's not what this was. So I'm a bit worried on that front. And then I don't love that Singleton got bottled up, but I do like that they were able to adjust the plan a little bit. And Catron Allen then became the star because they're both really talented, but both do different things really well. So there's definitely things that I'm a bit concerned about. And I think if we didn't see what happened in 2021 happen, I would probably, you know, be in that same boat of just chalking it up to it being a sleepy game. But again, we saw errors in Villanova last year that came back and reared their ugly heads later in the schedule. So I I think the staff has to understand that they have to be playing near perfect football against these kind of foes to really make people think they've turned the corner. And I think, um, full disclosure, I did not see the Villanova game last year. I was on a golf trip with um, my uh, some family and friends. Oh, it was gross. Um, I, but I pulled up the stats while you were talking because I, I I remember watching highlights of it. I remember you know, kind of following on my phone, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think two things that are, I guess one, one key thing that is, I think, a, a positive or a, a, an improvement on that game is Penn State was able to run the ball on Saturday against Central. They found, you know, it wasn't maybe what we expected as far as Nick Singleton or Nicholas Singleton, I think is actually what he prefers, um, or as my wife affectionately calls him, Nicky Singles. Um, but he was um, – <laughs> there were a couple of circumstances, a couple of specific plays where I thought he probably had, I don't know, maybe four or five yards, maybe a little bit more. There was a hole there, but I think and, – and Matt Millen in a very backwards way kind of alluded to this on the broadcast – He's, he's he's wired to break the big play. And we've seen it a handful mm-hmm. of times now through now four games. But I think some of some circumstances, a couple of plays where he had the, the ability to get the four or five yards and instead tried to go for 40 or 50, I think that might have um, clouded a little bit of the offensive line performance because the holes were there. There were opportunities to, to mm-hmm. gain positive yards. And I think to go along with that, I think it also led to some situations where they ended up behind the change or behind schedule um, on, on first and second downs. So I think that that ability to throw the, you know, change it up, go with Catron Allen and a guy that is probably a little bit more um, of a one cut kind of guy, sees the hole, finds it. Um, and we saw it on Saturday, still has the ability to break the big run. Um, but I think having yep. two guys that kind of. It's a bummer that, that, that toss counter they ran, which they got a ton of yards on against Auburn, it worked again. It got negated for holding. But that was like the perfect example of him putting his foot in the ground and just going. That was awesome. And, and to go along with that, I think they've called that same play with Singleton um, earlier in the game. And there was a, a, a modest gain that he had there, but he went for the, the big play, which, again, that's that's kind of what he is. Um, and he'll learn. He'll continue to improve. But I think having that ability to make that change on the fly to a guy that um, – can adjust better to what Central Michigan was trying to do, stacking the box, cover zero. We heard a lot about that. Um, but my my concern is, and I think the, re, the red flag from this is, um, on offense at least, when you are presented with that opportunity, it's basically a team daring you to beat you with their arm. And Penn State wasn't able to consistently do that. I think um, Sean Clifford missed throws. I think receivers um, dropped passes. I think there were circumstances where receivers just didn't get open. Um, it was just it was a weird game, and I think um, going up fourteen nothing like they did so quickly in a game where, as much as you can talk about it um, as a coaching staff, and you know all week you don't you know every game matters. Go one to know this is the most important game on the schedule. These are college kids; they know who they're playing. They're coming off the high of a win at Auburn. There, there's going to be that inevitable letdown. Um, you're, you're not going to have that same level of energy every week, and when you factor that into the psychological part of it too. Um, against the name that you see on the schedule. And then you go up 14 nothing super early, combined with all the rotation that was going on. It's not hard to see where um, where things got off track a little bit. But I think it's it's the same thing we've seen from the passing game really for a couple of years now. When, when teams yeah. are daring you to run the ball, you have to be able to throw it with some level of consistently down the field mm-hmm. to either make teams pay or back them off to open up the run. And I think Penn State was able to, from a physical standpoint, take control of the game enough to let Catron Allen kind of run through um, what Central Michigan was was presenting. But 
Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio State, these teams coming up um, next month, they're going to be able to run that same kind of defense and be more of a physical equal to what Penn State can put out there where that passing game is going to have to improve. And I think it can. We've seen it um, in spurts. You know, it hasn't been consistent. Um, And I think we even saw it from when Drew Aller came in. And again, it was, you know, kind of a hodgepodge mix of um, personnel out there. Um, But he's, this is probably the most that we've seen him struggle in his short tenure too. Um, You know, missed throws. Mm -hmm. um, That throw to Liam Clifford though was unbelievable. But, you know, kind of. Oh, what a great grab by him too. Absolutely, yeah. But I, I think it's just this this unevenness and the, the concern is it's been an issue for a couple of years now. I think this team feels different mm-hmm. through four games. I think, I think go, so looking in, going back in hindsight now to last year and Penn State's 5-0 and going to Iowa, top five in the country, um, there were bigger red flags. They couldn't run the ball. They hadn't run the ball in a single game up to that yep. point. They were getting by with um, you know, Sean Clifford's big game against Auburn. Um, you know, a truly spectacular defensive performance at Wisconsin Open last season. But those those red flags, were, I think, were a lot redder. To, to be you know perfectly yeah. obvious. Um, and this this team, like I said, it feels different. Not to say they're going to go out and they're going to go twelve and zero, and we're going to be talking about you know Big Ten championships and playoffs. But I think they are better suited. For both from a personnel standpoint with Singleton and Allen, but also I think just kind of a mindset. I think they're um, it just the way the players talk, the way the coaches talk. I think there's more of an understanding of um, yeah, it's great to be four and zero, and we've done a lot of things really well. But I think the things that need to be cleaned up are things that are are able to be cleaned up to some degree, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I I would absolutely agree with that. Um, in terms of things I'm not as worried about anymore, I think it's gotta be this secondary, this secondary all across safety corners. I think it's the best in the big 10 Joey Porter jr. Teams aren't throwing at him anymore. Like nobody's, nobody's trying it. I, I, I haven't seen granted Ohio. Auburn can't throw Central Michigan, but Central Michigan went after Kalen King and he delivered. I think it was PFF, which is far from perfect. Don't get me wrong. Graded Kalen King as the highest um, graded defender in college football on Saturday. And then you add in a guy like Johnny Dixon, who just has this, I guess we want to call it at this point, Wheatley-esque knack for making big plays. Like he had a pick again uh, this past weekend. So and a great play and too. Not, not was it, it was a, on a great play, you know, great coverage. And he went up and made the play. These safeties, Wheatley with another pick, Jair Brown just always just does his thing. Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, like these are just dudes who are finding ways to shut down passing attacks. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like, you know, let's be honest, the Michigan and the Minnesota offenses are going to try to run the football down Penn State's throat. And that's still a bit of a concern. But against that Ohio State receiving core, you know, I, I think that matchup's a lot more. I don't want to say evenly matched, but it's a lot closer than I think we realized heading into the season. So there's definitely some good you can take away. And and I like that through every week so far, there's been a different player of the game. Let's call it. I think Purdue, I know he threw the pick. You got to give it to Sean Clifford against Ohio. It's probably Singleton. You think that's fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. In Auburn, I think it's Jair Brown. I thought he played the best. And then in this one, it was Katron Allen. So I think it's really cool that we're not seeing this be like how it was for a long time, where it was Saquon's the one who's going to make a big play. Jahan's the one who's going to make a big play. Uh, Brandon Bell's the one who's going to make a big play defensively. It seems like it's just changing so much now. So definitely something I like going forward. And I think this depth they're building is only going to help them uh, as we get into the heart of the Big Ten schedule now. Well, I think, too, the to go along with that, just the turnovers in general. Um, I don't know where they rank nationally. Mm-hmm. I know USC's number one at like plus 14 or something insane like that. They've yet to turn the ball over themselves. But they yeah, it's four insane. more turnovers um, on Saturday against Central. They had, what, three or four, I believe, against Auburn. Um, four against Auburn. Um, so they're, you know, like we've talked about going into the year with Manny Diaz. And I know I saw someone earlier today refer to, you know, they're still kind of doing this bend, don't break deal. I think their their 
they're avoiding the breaking, if you will, in a different way. They're doing it by creating these negative plays. Um, it also doesn't feel like the 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 Brent Pry thing. Like it doesn't feel like the plan isn't, you know, let them settle for a field goal. It feels like the plan when the team's get in the red zone is to turn them over. For sure, and and it led the points. Central scored scored fourteen points, um, and they they were able to move the ball with some level of consistency. I think they ran a lot of what, um, you know, for the sake of easy comparison, what Purdue tried to do, you get the ball out quickly. And that wasn't the case consistently, but I think there was a conscious effort on, on Central's part to try to mitigate Penn State's pass rush by getting the ball out with some level of quickness. Um, we saw later in the game with um, their backup quarterback that came in, um, was holding on to the ball a little bit longer and the rush was able to get home. That's where we saw uh, deny Dennis Sutton um, get a couple of sacks. Yep. Um, but even on plays where they didn't weren't able to get to the quarterback, um, they the first interception. They they forced the bad throw. I can't remember who it was. Got an arm. Got a hand on the central quarterback's shoulder and forced that duck that um, Zaki Wheatley picked off. Um, yep. And I, Great play by him. He's loving that center field. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. He plays that so. So well. I I think on the defensive side of the ball, they're 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 doing a lot of what we talked about. A lot of what Manny Diaz wants. They're creating these these. Um, these chaos plays, they're forcing turnovers and they're taking advantage of them, uh, force, taking advantage of the opportunities that they're creating. Offensively, they're, they're taking yep. care of the ball. And I know sometimes that's boring, um, but... Boring's good. <laughs> you can win a lot of games by being boring. There's a coach at Penn State that won a lot of games for, you know, for over a lot of years by being kind of boring. But if you take care of the ball, you force turnovers, um, and, you, and you take advantage of, of the other team's mistakes and limit your own, that's good. That's a winning recipe a lot of the time, especially when you're a team like Penn State that has the level of talent that they do. Uh, before we kind of uh, real quick, Matt, before before I forget, so I have it pulled up here. Uh, turnover margin in in FBS football, Penn State currently ranks fourth, and they are only one of two teams in the top ten in the Power Five. Uh, the other, of course, being Southern Cal with uh, a turnover margin of fourteen. Uh, Penn State sits at eighth. I'm sorry, with eight for fourth national. I think that's really um, – we have to go back and look and see what they were the last uh, few years, but I think that's that's a difference, I think. Um, and it's not just yeah, that they're getting sure. the turnovers. Like I said, it's how they're getting them. They're, they're, um, you know, the fumble was Kalen King was able to get his hand in there and strip the ball out. Um, the, the first interception was getting to the quarterback, forcing a bad throw, and then making the play. Um Johnny Dixon was, he wasn't so much, you know, forcing a bad throw, but he made great coverage and went up and made the play. Um, mm-hmm. You're seeing more and more that you're seeing more and more passes defended, which I know if you talk to Bill Conley, the more passes you defend, the more opportunity, the more likely you are to eventually get that, that interception, that, that turnover. Um, before we move on to um, something I want to talk about next, I want to also talk about, I, I, they're all in the laundry, <laughs> but uh, our pals at home field, who you've heard us talk about before, um, I, I just got done moving. If you look behind me, you will see, um, boxes that have yet to be unpacked. Um, but the three days last weekend that we were moving into our new house, I had, was it, it was a new home field shirt every day. Um, super comfortable to be, to be moving, um, heavy lifting, if you will. <laughs> um, but like, like I said, our pals, um, use code Roarlines Roar. Um, for 15% off your first order. Um, I, I I would be wearing one right now, but they, I have yet to do laundry. Um, we are still in the process of unpacking. I know, Matt, you've got um, several more. My, my wife just ordered, I think we got like four or five more coming you know, this week or next, depending on when they get sent out. So um, great nice. shirts. I saw I saw a couple people at the bar I was at watching the game in some home field gear, uh, which was always exciting. I was chatting with a couple of them. Uh, just about the drop. And they said they saw a lot of uh, home field Penn State gear down at the Auburn game. So that was cool. It was cool to to chop it up with some fellow home field fans and some fellow Penn State alumni. Yeah, we have, um, obviously I've got, I think, four or five Penn State shirts. I got another one in the order we sent, we placed yesterday. Um, but I think what's cool too is, is I live in Michigan and, um, you know, obviously Michigan, Michigan State, you know, you're not going to catch me wearing anything like that. But you've got Northern Michigan up in the UP, cool school um, up in Marquette, Michigan. So I got a shirt from them. Uh, Wayne State, which is a school in downtown Detroit, um, really cool urban campus. Um, I think they played Division Three, whatever that's called. Um, got a shirt for, for them. So 
if you are if, if you are fans of small local schools, they've got that. If they're we, I got a Hawaii shirt because we visited Hawaii last summer, and Hawaii is gorgeous, and so nice that just felt like a natural. So um, again, use code Roar Lions Roar, fifteen uh, percent off your first order, um, and thanks to them for continuing to allow us to talk at you about Penn State football. Getting back to Penn State football, um, the non conference schedule's over. Um, believe it or not. We are into Big Ten play for the rest of the season, starting with Northwestern on Saturday. Um, kind of a weird non-conference schedule, I guess, when you start with Purdue, um, a Big Ten game to open the season. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, we did the same thing it a year ago. And you think we'd be used to it now. But once again, 3-0, I think, like we were just saying, probably more impressive this year through the non-conference schedule than they were, certainly were um, a year ago. Um, so I want to ask you, Matt, what do you know, what do we know about Penn state now that we didn't know at this time a month ago going into the season? They're a contender in the big 10. I think that's upfront first and foremost. I think we have to start talking about this Penn state team as a contender. I am still not sold on Michigan, Minnesota, uh, I think is much better than a lot of us thought, but no disrespect to Michigan State, but Minnesota hasn't played anybody. Michigan State is capital B bad this year. Mel Tucker, good for you for getting the bag, and I hope you last as long as possible. And if you don't, you're going to enjoy that buyout money. Uh, but but I think it's time that we have to acknowledge that this Penn State team is a realistic fringe Big Ten title team. Because, again, there's always the Ohio State in the room. And I think another thing we have to acknowledge is that it doesn't really matter if they're thin at linebacker anymore because Abdul Carter is here and he is the kind of player who can erase basically all of my depth concerns. Granted, if he gets hurt, then the depth concern comes right back, but I'm not worried about any unit on this defense anymore. I think there's still some issues giving up big plays, especially against the run, which we've seen for a long time, but Again, I, I'm not really all that concerned about that front seven anymore. And, you know, I just sang the praises of this secondary. So I think it's realistic this Penn State team could maybe lead the Big Ten in turnovers gained. Like, I mean, they're already at plus four or plus eight just in the last two games. So I think there's still a lot we have to learn. But I think we can only be looking at things more positively after what we've seen so far throughout these first four games. Yeah, I think to go along with that, um, on the defensive side at least, we know that this the, the personnel that Penn State has can play Manny Diaz's defense. Um, there's still yep. kinks to work out. There's going to be probably for the rest of the year we're going to see, um, especially from veteran guys that have played you know three four years in a in a different system. Um, they're you know old habits die hard, right? So, but I think mm-hmm. you know we've seen them. Um, defensively do a lot of what we talked about. Like I was saying earlier, they've created those turnovers. They've gotten to the quarterback. Um, I, I know Auburn has its wards. So he's going to be lucky to get to, to 500 this year. And Brian Harson is probably going to be very fortunate if he still has a job by the end of October, based on what Auburn has coming up. But I think um, we saw against a, an overmatched offensive line, Penn state just was relentless in getting to um the Auburn, the Auburn quarterbacks, and they really were able to shut down the running game with mm-hmm. mild, with with pretty significant success. It wasn't a hundred percent, you know. Tank, um, you know, the, the Auburn running game is is certainly um, talented with their with their three backs that they can roll out there. But they were they yep. they were able to do what Manny Diaz preaches: get to the quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. They were, I think, we saw some of that against Ohio. Purdue and, and Central, like we talked about, kind of a little different passing game. I think the other thing, and this is by no means to say that they are there, but the offensive line, I think, is is much improved. There's a lot to go because they're you know they started so far down. But yeah, there's a long way to but go. But like we were saying earlier, they rushed for I think it was 80 yards against Villanova last year. Um, they rushed for let me pull it up here real quick, 166 yards. Not not elite by any means, um, but. They were they averaged over five yards a carry. Um, I think they are generally doing a better job protecting the quarterbacks. Um, we're going to get learn a lot more about them here in a few weeks, starting in with this this three game stretch um, at Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State. But I think 
credit where credit is due. They have taken a step forward that was sorely needed. And I think we've seen this offense kind yep. of evolve from there. Um, we're, we're four games into the season, but I think there's still some things that we need to learn about this team too. Um, yep. we, we need to see them do it again, you know, quite frankly, against a, a, a higher quality opponent. I think Purdue has their own issues with Aiden O'Connell's injury. Um, <laughs> I still think Purdue is the second best team in the West. I would agree with that. And I think if O'Connell's healthy, yeah. um, that, that Syracuse game was just weird. Um, you know, they've, they've lost a couple yeah. games, um, the Penn State game and now the Syracuse game, um, where they've, they've played pretty well. And I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot against Syracuse. I think Penn State kind of took it from them, um, if I'm being honest. Um, but I think um, we've got, you know, the non-conference schedule's over, but the preseason, I think, kind of ends after Saturday, um, after the Northwestern game. You go to Michigan, who we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, I think we learned a little bit about them finally playing a team like Mar- with a pulse um, on, on Saturday. Um, Minnesota is a top 10 team in S&P Plus now. I think they're actually ranked ahead of Penn State by a couple slots um, in Bill Conley's rankings. Um, and then obviously you host Ohio State on Halloween weekend. Um, that's that's really the, the season right there um, when you're talking about Big Ten championships, college football playoffs, New Year's Six beds, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to see how, how this offensive line, for example, holds up um, against higher quality opposition. I think we need to see how these two running backs um, that have been, you know, everything that we've that was advertised um, through four games, let's see them against this, this better competition. I really think that's the big question that's out there is Penn State's answered a lot of things um, and I think is a much better spot after four games than they were a year ago, even though the record's the same and they were ranked higher a year ago. Mm-hmm. But I think um, because of some of these these new guys, these new systems, let's see what they do um, when they're pushed a little bit more. And I think having gone through the Purdue game, winning it the way they did, going to a place like Jordan-Hare, I think that those are going to be benefits that they probably didn't have um, a year ago when they faced some adversity during the heart mm-hmm. of the Big Ten schedule. Um, but they have to face that adversity, I think, against – a team like Michigan or Minnesota or Ohio state or even Maryland, who I think has been, um, you know, you maybe say deserved a better fate against Michigan over the weekend. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, w- one quick point. I just want to make sure I get in before we, I know we're shifting to a little bit more, you know, broader big 10 conversation. I still don't know if Sean Clifford and, and I'm the guy who thinks they should start Drew Aller. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change my take on this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I know people don't love that take, especially people we talk to, but I, I'm not changing it because he's 24 years old. It's year six. I don't know if he's a game manager or a game elevator still for the 2022 Penn State football team. And I still think we cannot learn that until Michigan. And I think Michigan is gettable. And I am afraid that we will learn that lesson in the wrong direction again think in the past he's been a more game manager than game elevator um and it didn't work out in Penn State's favor and I don't know if 2022 Sean Clifford is game manager or game elevator yet yeah I, I think that's fair and I think um we don't need to get into the whole quarterback debate again um but I, I that, that's a bi-week conversation <laughs> I'm gonna schedule a vacation that week then I think you and I have, have, have discussed that one <laughs> um offline um enough but um, I, I think that's certainly a fair question um Penn State's, I alluded to it earlier, Penn State's passing game, I don't think, especially, and, and this this isn't just a Sean Clifford thing. I think this is a wide receiver thing too. They haven't shown a level of consistency through four games that I think makes you feel better about punishing a team that runs a defense like Central Michigan ran on Saturday. Not, you, know, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota, whoever – we, I think a lot of times as fans, we, we get fooled into thinking, oh, Team A saw this work against Team B, so they're going to try and do the same thing. Teams have their own systems. They're, they're going to they're gonna try and right. do, you know, just for the sake of argument, Michigan's going to try and do what Central Michigan did defensively within what their system is. Ohio State, the same right. thing. You know, defensive corners aren't going to change their stripes just because, oh, you know, this is what, this is what they do. This, this is what someone else did that was really effective against them. But it still lays out a blueprint, and I think um, as great as Parker Washington is, as great as Mitchell Tinsley is, I think they, you know, 
for a variety of reasons aren't, um, you know, we, we saw this weekend, we saw them struggle a little bit with press coverage and um, being able to create the separation when they're in those man-on-man situations. Penn State doesn't have a third receiver. Trey Wallace had the opportunity on Saturday, had a key drop on, I think it was a third down play, second or third down, but it would have, it would have converted to, for, for a first down. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith has been inconsistent. Um, didn't really see a lot, whole lot of him on Saturday. Um, th- no one has really stepped up to take over that, that third receiver spot. Brenton Strange has, be- I think, been a revelation in a positive way. Um, yeah, I did not see that coming at but all. But he's, he, he's not than a Mike Gesicki or a Pat Fryermuth type tight end that's going to stretch the field. He's, you know, you know, a, a, a great tight end. I think he might be a more complete tight end in some ways than both those guys. Um, but I think, yep. you know, can someone like, like Theo Johnson now that he's healthy, um, he made a nice catch on, on Saturday. Um, I think it converted for a first down as well. Um, can, can he emerge as a guy that can become that, that third, or I guess if you're counting Brenton Strange, that fourth, receiving threat, but someone that can stretch the field a little bit more. They just, they don't have that, that big play threat at receiver that they've had the last couple of years with Jahan Dotson before that KJ Hamler and going back before that, you know, Chris Godwin, um, Deshaun Hamilton, they don't have that one guy that um, you, you feel like you can kind of go to when you need that, that big play um, in the passing game. Mm-hmm. And, it's gonna it's gonna be a need at some point. And I think that's um, you've got two weeks to kind of figure that out. I think because um, we're, we're we're getting into the Big Ten schedule, like we've talked about a little bit. Um, I'm gonna change up our schedule or our, our itinerary here a little bit um, because I put these out of okay. or out of order of who Penn State plays. But Penn State's next game that I think is of consequence. Um, no offense to Northwestern, but like we said earlier, they are if Michigan State is capital is capital they're, they're B real bad bad that I'm not sure what, what Northwestern is. Um, they fell to Miami of Ohio on Saturday, um, a week after. I can't remember who beat them then, yes. but... The Salukis, come on. Don't disrespect Southern Illinois like I, that. I, I couldn't remember what direction it was, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, <laughs> but but Penn State goes to the big house in in three little less than three weeks. Um, Michigan... Are you going? I am, yes. I actually... Uh, a, nice. a work colleague of mine... Um, Got me four tickets, and then it surprised me when he mailed them to me with a parking pass, which um, Penn State can't, fans can empathize with. Having a having a parking spot in advance is is massive. Um, so I have a few friends coming up from Pennsylvania. They're gonna they're gonna stay in the new house. We have room for people to stay with us now. Nice. Um, if we haven't burned it down or anything by then. Uh, but yes, I will be at the game. Um, I have uh, nice. I apologize in advance. I have never seen. Penn State win a game. Not that there's been many examples of that, um, but I've never seen my team win at Michigan Stadium. I have seen the heartbreak of the the 2 game, um, the overtime game. I was there in 05 when Mario Manningham broke our hearts at the, on the last play. Um, when Penn State won in, I believe it was 2008 there, I was not there. Um, my dad and sister actually went and sat through that rain when Daryl Clark just uh, picked apart Rich Rodriguez's team. Um, that actually might have been 2009, but anyway, um, back to to the opposition of that game. Um, Michigan is 4-0. They are ranked, I think, fourth in the country, fifth, depending on on which poll you look at. Um, but I think we we learned a lot more about them in 60 minutes against Maryland on Saturday than we really knew before that. They had played Hawaii, they had played Colorado State, and they had played UConn who might be three of the five worst well, teams they, in, in FBS football. I think those teams have a combined two wins. I didn't even – Colorado State lost to someone on Saturday that I'm not even sure is a real school. It might have been one of these, like, DeVry sorts of situations. Um, but <laughs> Michigan – Larry Larry Fitz finally joined the University of Phoenix football team after all those and, commercials. And, and tore up the, uh, the Rams of Colorado State. But um, – if not for Blake Corum, then Maryland um, probably comes away from that game with a, with a win. And credit to Michigan, Blake Corum had an unbelievable day, over 20 yards rushing, a couple touchdowns. Um, but J.J. McCarthy um, struggled. Um, Maryland was able to um, move the ball with some some ease, and um, Talia Tagovailoa has been very good. He got um, banged up late in the game. Um, but if not for three Maryland turnovers, one of which was dubious at best, that probably should have been 
reviewed and overturned, um, Maryland was right in that game, um, if not for Blake Corum. Mm-hmm. So I, my question to you is, and you kind of hinted at this, what is Michigan? You know, do we know yet? Um, they go to Iowa on Saturday where I think we're going to see, we'll probably learn a lot more about their offense. Um, I don't think we're learning anything about their defense because Iowa's offense is stuck in 1960. But I, I think <laughs> Iowa's offense is their defense. Yeah, but they have two two defensive touchdowns to get Rutgers. They, yeah, they, yeah. But but <laughs> yeah. what is Michigan? Is it, I mean, obviously they're they're a talented team. Um, they you know JJ McCarthy is, is a good quarterback. Blake Corm is I think one of the more underrated players in the country, or at least one of the least discussed really good players in the country. Um, but without Aiden Hutchinson, without David Ajabo, they're not what they were a year ago. But I'm not really sure we know no. what they are, though. I don't want to. I don't want to be disrespectful to the reigning Big Ten champs. Um, you know, I, I have a, a natural uh, ambivalence. I guess would be the right word towards Michigan. I think I used that word correctly. Um, College of Com. I'm sorry if I didn't. But I. I don't think it's easy to replace two talented coordinators. Aiden Hutchinson, a first-round pick, and David Ajabo, who would have been a first-round pick had he not gotten hurt in the evaluation process. I don't think you lose those pieces and then run off a double-digit win season very easily. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not going to be like what it was for those first three games. And Maryland showed that they do not have that pin your ears back and cause havoc packaged guys up front that can really force a quarterback who has shown he can get the yips in the past in Sean Clifford to make mistakes. So is Michigan good? Yes. Would I say Penn State's better? I have to say yes. The body of work is just flat out better. I, I No disrespect to the teams that they've played, but Penn State went on the road and has two wins against Power 5 foes. And again, good for Michigan ride the high of this big 10 title as long as you can. And if playing three cupcakes gets you there, awesome, good, great for you. But I'm not convinced that they're, you know, a touchdown better than Penn state. I'm not convinced they're a field goal better than Penn state. I I'm just, I'm not sold yet. And, and I think Iowa's going to go a long way. I think Iowa can pull that upset very realistically. I don't think that's at all out of the question. I think Iowa's better than we thought. I think it's really fun to make fun of them because of what happened in week one. And that should, they should still be made fun of because that was very funny, but that's not a bad team in Iowa city. And especially on defense. You know, I think Bill Conley has them as the number one yeah. defense in the country. Their offense, I think is like 115th, um, you know, among, you know, that's, that's still too high. Yeah. That acknowledges that they have an offense. Um, but I'm looking at Michigan stats here and, it, and it's, it's so hard to figure this out because we, we really have, I think, 60 minutes to evaluate them on. Um, they, they just, the teams they played out of the, out of, out of the big 10 are just bad and not just bad, but among the worst teams in division one. And that's not, you know, I, I heard someone locally saying I was a Michigan state fan um, that is on uh, one of the sports talk stations in town was, you know, claiming that Michigan, you know, intentionally scheduled this, this schedule the way they did, these games were set up years in advance. Yeah, you now, should. UConn has been terrible for, you know, as long as I can remember now. But Hawaii has been respectful. They certainly have had some great offenses. They've fallen apart in the last couple of years. It wasn't that long ago that I remember Colorado State being um, one of the better group of five teams. But with that said, they're, they're, just, they're not good. And I don't think you can take a whole lot of what anyone on Michigan's team did from those games and try and apply it towards... What are they going to do this weekend in Iowa? Um, I think they go to Indiana the week before Penn State goes there. Um, if this game was in State College um, at Beaver Stadium, I think we collectively would have a lot more confidence about Penn State's chances. But the Big House has been a, a house of horrors for Penn State for you know since they joined the Big Ten, basically. Um, so I, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Michigan on Saturday um, at noon against Iowa. Um, oh, is that big noon? That is that is big noon. Um, oh, nice. I, I, I think Michigan catches a little bit of a break. I don't know if Kinnick is as magic at noon as it is at night, but um, I, I'm fascinated to watch that game, and I'm glad that Penn State's game against Northwestern is a little bit later because I think um, not that I'm going to be you know taking copious notes and film study and things like that, but I'm I'm very curious to see what Michigan's offense does against um, 
at this point, the best defense in the country, according to, to Bill Conley's numbers. Um, mm-hmm. When this game was set up as the whiteout against Minnesota um, the week after Michigan, I think um, yeah, there was a level of disappointment, of course, because we thought the Ohio State, you know, the Ohio State game has been the whiteout game for for its since its inception, basically, when Ohio State's been at home. But because of the Fox TV contract, blah, blah, blah. Now it, it seems rather fortuitous. Um, this is cool. I, I really like this. And, and I think it's um, it, it's it's different, which is which is always nice, I think. Um, but I think Minnesota is really good. Um, they have played no one. Um, like you said, Michigan State um, has not been able to recapture the magic of a year ago um, that they had with Kenneth Walker. Um, their secondary is a mess. But Minnesota went in the East Lansing and just absolutely dominated that game. I, it was something like 350 to 40 in yardage at halftime. Um, it was 34-7 final. It wasn't that close. Michigan State scored with just a handful of seconds left to to get on the board and avoid being shut out. Um, but Minnesota has their own six-year senior in Tanner Morgan. They got the band back together. Kirk Chirac is back cornering the offense for P.J. Fleck. Um, and the last time Penn State played Minnesota, they um, were, were upset in Minneapolis on another game I was at. Um, maybe I should stop going to games. I'll be at the, I'll be at the whiteout game as well. Um, and I'm, I'm beginning to doubt myself on, on all this. Um, but I guess my question to you is, is Minnesota for real? Is Bill Conley, is S&P Plus right at with them at seventh in the country? Is Minnesota that good? It's hard to tell. It's different than 19. If you remember 19, they were just winning close games. Like the ball would just keep on bouncing their way. Uh, this version of Minnesota is trouncing people, like dominating on both sides of the ball. Um, so I, again, I think Michigan State is, is is hot garbage. I think they're one of the most overrated teams in college football still. Uh, I think they're that, that program, I think, is just in a really tough spot and is proving that portal building doesn't work. Um, but that's not to say I don't think Minnesota is really talented. Mo Ibrahim is the best running back in the Big Ten. No doubt about it in my mind. Uh, I am dreading that game. So just because of the storyline of if Minnesota wins worth Kirk Shiraka, the online discussion about Franklin picking the wrong guy between Shiraka and Yurcich is going to be insufferable. So we will, we will cross that bridge when we get to it. But I, I think I think they're good. I'm more convinced they're good, like capital G good, than I am Michigan so far. It's, it's funny. It's kind of to some degree in this, and they're Minnesota and Michigan are kind of in the same boat where um, their non conference schedule told us basically nothing. Are they both rowing it? <laughs> it's a stupid joke. That went that it's went right joke. over my head. Um, but I. I I, I'm with you, man. I, I feel like I know more about Minnesota than I do about Michigan. I don't know if that's because I, I think Michigan yeah. State is, is you know, more 2021 Michigan State than 2020 or 2022 maybe. Um, but I guess it's just the way they've gone about it. I think Tanner Morgan, I have confidence in him because he's, um, you know, struggled the last couple of years, but I remember what he did in 2019. Um He's super efficient. I'm, he's, you know, completing almost over 77% of his passes. Um, just one interception. He's only been sacked one time. Um, what I'm curious about is um, Chris Altman-Bell, who was their, their top receiver, yeah, is, is out for the season. That's such a bummer. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, such a bummer, um, man. You know, from a, a, a homer perspective, it, you know, it's obviously going to benefit Penn State. But I, I want to see Tanner Morgan in the Minnesota passing game against Penn State secondary. And I'm fascinated to see this matchup because, um, and we saw it when Kirk Scirocco was running the Penn State offense. They were going to RPO you to death. Um, and like you said, Mo Ibrahim is if one of the best big backs in the Big Ten, if not the best. Um, and so it's a running game you absolutely have to respect. Their offensive line is always solid. But I, I am fascinated to see how many Diaz goes up against that that Minnesota offense. Um, I don't know if you know anything about the Minnesota defense because of who they've played, um, you know, solid, if not, yep. you know, they don't have that, um, that, that um, NFL caliber star like they had. Um, oh, um, with, with Winfield um, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I'm, I'm just, you know, looking at stats kind of here as we're talking and they, um, they've picked off four passes. They have a handful of sacks. It's just, they they are much more of an unknown. I, I feel like I know the Minnesota offense is good because it's guys that have done it in the past over a, a longer body of work. 
I think I'm. I think Penn State at this point, I feel confident they can probably move the ball. I feel like they can probably run the ball on Minnesota to some degree with Allen and Singleton. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I am fascinated to see how how Penn State handles that that RPO attack. Um, and then the elephant in the room, um, Halloween weekend. Um, we it's not officially a big noon game, but I think we all know it will be. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State is that day, and the rumor around here is that's going to be a night game, which means that Ann Arbor might actually burn to the ground with those two fan bases. Um, with a whole day of tailgating um, in them. Um, but Ohio State comes to, to Happy Valley on Halloween weekend. Um, Ohio State looked like what I think we all expected Ohio State to look like against Wisconsin on Saturday. Um, Wisconsin's not good. Wisconsin's, you know, I think a lesser version of what Wisconsin usually is. Um, you know, a physical team up front, a solid defense. But I think Ohio State was just able to out-athlete them. Um, that was out without Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, who missed, um, I think that's his third game now that he's missed since getting hurt against Notre Dame. Um, I have I have no delusions that um, Ohio State is down or gettable. I think it's at home. Penn State's always played Ohio State close, especially at home with James Franklin. I think Penn State, like you mentioned earlier, Matt, has the secondary to hang with Ohio State's receivers in passing game. But they're just, they're just so deep. C.J. Stroud is so good. Um, and Jim Knowles has them playing defense, which um, hasn't been the case the last couple of years. Um, mm. you know, that's, I mean, there, there's a reason why you know they're talked about with Georgia and Alabama is kind of think the three teams that we know are really good in that fourth spot in the, in the playoff picture is just, you know, anyone's guess at this point. Um, but I guess, you know, we're, we're a month out, over a month out. Do you have any thoughts on that game? Or, or are we still... Um, you know, should I be more worried about Minnesota and Michigan at this point? I think you got to be more worried about the first two on your schedule. You got to get through them. Um, Ohio State's good, and their national title title contender good until they prove me otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they're really yeah, good. Well, for sure, and, and I think we kind of got um, you know, diluted a little bit um, from that Notre Dame game. Notre Dame struggles, um, you know, against um, losing to Marshall, um, and then really struggling against Cal. Um, I think, I think we allowed what Notre Dame is to influence what Ohio State is to some degree. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. they have just first round talent all over that offense, especially. And I think that's regardless of how good Penn State's defense is, and I think it's really good. That's a scary proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Big Ten is is weird this year. You know, to, to move on from the Penn State it schedule is. a little bit. Um, I think we know we know Ohio State's really good. Um, like we said earlier, I think we Penn State is is in that contender status. I think even though we're not sure what Michigan is, I think you have to put them there until they prove us otherwise. I think we know what Minnesota is to some degree. After that, it is, um, you know, Iowa can't score points offensively, but they stop everyone. Um, Purdue has lost two games um, by, I want to say it's like six total combined points or something like that. Um, they struggled against FAU, but Aiden O'Connell was hurt. What is the Big Ten? Is there is it really truly these you know three or four teams at the top and then a big gap? Is there someone that you think can kind of yeah. you know the, the West is is you know who knows? Um, it, but there's this really fine line it feels like between the t- the top of the conference. Um, if we're going to count you know teams like Penn State, Michigan, and Minnesota in that kind of contender tier, um, even though we acknowledge Ohio State is is a step above those teams. And then there's this big gap. It doesn't feel like it's been like that before. And, yeah, you know, it, someone's going to rise up in there. We're going to have a bunch of teams that are at seven and five at the end of the year um, that just beat up on each other and the top of the conference beats up on them. Um, I guess it, through through a month of the season, what, what are your general thoughts on the Big Ten outside of these these top teams? I think I think we're seeing the power dynamic shift. Um, I think Rutgers is ascending. I, I, I said this for the past few years. I'm a big Greg Schiano fan. I think he knows how to win at Rutgers. I think Mike Loxley is a really good coach for Maryland. Uh, I think Michigan State, Nebraska, uh, and Northwestern are the clear bottom feeders. I think that those powers that if you even think back uh, this past decade of Big Ten football, I think those were three of the schools you probably would have put in the top half of the programs. And now I think they're the three worst programs in the big 10. So I think it's shifting Wisconsin, I think is 
rapidly approaching an inflection point in their program as to what do they want to be. I think Paul Christ has taken them as far as they can go. I don't know what direction you can take, but it's they're never not they're never not going to win more than how do I want to word this? They're never not double negative gonna win more than ten games. That's just not what they're built to do, and that's not going to be acceptable. So I think we're finding ourselves in a moment where the Big Ten second tier big brands are going through identity crises, crises, um, and things will begin to shift as the season goes. And I think that's why it feels so weird. Yeah, I think you put it well. I think Wisconsin teams like Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, Mm-hmm. Minnesota I'm fascinated by because I think P.J. Fleck is the type of coach that can maybe not get them to, you know, a Penn State or Michigan or, you know, in recent history, Michigan State levels, for example, where you are a true playoff contender, maybe not on the level of an Ohio State or an Alabama or a Georgia, those teams that have, have competed and won at that level. But mm-hmm. can they be good enough to – win the Big Ten and get to the playoff and then get your doors blown off by Georgia. Yes. Um, I think that's what Wisconsin and Iowa thought they could be with kind of the way they have to build their programs. But I think that gap is widening with, um, you know, the Eastern side of the conference, you know, ban the divisions, eliminate them, all those sorts of things. But I think that mm. talent gap and the level of, of athleticism between the top of the conference and these, you know, the, the second tier elite programs like Iowa, like Wisconsin, like Nebraska was supposed to be have that gap is growing so much where you're, you're going to see, I mean, it's, we've seen it every year. It seems like in the, in the big 10 championship game, but when you have these cross division matchups during the season, like we had with Ohio state, and Wisconsin, Wisconsin, the team that's supposedly one of the favorites in the big 10 West. And it's just, it's not even close. And you saw it when Penn State beat Wisconsin and Indianapolis back in 2016 in the second half, especially when the athleticism just took over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm fascinated to see where this goes, especially at a place like Wisconsin that I think has experienced more, yep. we'll say, national success, not playoff-level success, but it was mm-hmm. gone in the New Year's Six games, won those games. Um, how, how, how long are they? do they let this happen um, where they fall further and further behind the Ohio State's um, I think if we saw Penn State play them, we saw Michigan roll them last year in Madison in the game that wasn't particularly close. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, I think that's a fun subplot. Um, you know, so much of the attention of college football gets directed on the playoff and championships. But I think one of the things that's always intrigued me about college football, at least, has been these secondary storylines. You know, teams that aren't going to compete for those things, but they have their own goals mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, if Northwestern, for example, wins nine games, that's a huge year for them. They're not going to make national waves oh in any, way, any sense of the, the word. But those are the things that make the game fun. Maybe they'd upset someone. Um, so I'm fascinated to see kind of mm-hmm. how that plays out, especially in the West, because that's where all these teams reside. Um, does someone like Minnesota... And it's, killing, it's killing the Big Ten nationally. And and as we head to this two-conference system, essentially, it, it's, they're going to start dragging everybody else down. For sure. And I, it's is it a... Coaching philosophy? Is it a university philosophy? Yes. You know, where, um, you know, football just isn't, you know, as critical to the university as it is at a place like Penn State, um, you know, to be blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, we could we could do a whole other podcast. Maybe we'll do that during the bye week instead of talk about the Penn State quarterback situation. Um, any, Why not both? <laughs> any other final thoughts before we call it a night, Matt? That that's all I got. Um, before I forget, uh, Michigan and Minnesota run modern power, which is how to be successful uh, in 2022. Wisconsin and Iowa refuse to have anything modern, and that's why there's that tier level, despite them playing similar uh, philosophically. So that's all I got. Spencer Petros uh, and, and Grand, Graham Mertz might have uh, maybe part of that as well, but. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. But thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we will be back later this week um, with a uh, look ahead to Northwestern and probably some other fun things. Um, I'm glad to be back. Um, I apologize for the green wall behind me. That is, um, I swear, not Spartan green. That is, um, I don't even know what color we picked. 
but um, eventually we'll have some golf photos in here um, and some golf memorabilia that I've collected. Oh, nice. that, that's the, the purpose of the green is, as I explained it, at least my wife, the Michigan state fan might have a different story, um, but it, good to be back with everyone. Um, I apologize for being uh, absent for the better part of a month while we packed and moved, but um, looking forward to being with everyone the rest of this way um, through the last two thirds of the Penn state season. Um, thanks for listening. Don't forget Roar Lions Roar at home field to get 15% off. And um, for Matt Flipovitz, I am Matt DeBear. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go State.